In general, I think that in our culture, we're not all that good with intentionality when it comes to grief and loss. I I think we do our best to gloss over and to uh, maybe look forward. I tend to think we're not so good with empty spaces. Um, that's my experience as a spiritual director. And it's really my, my experience as an individual, you know, having a empty space in my life that used to be full can be a time that triggers a little bit of discomfort in me. And I have to learn to be present to that and allow life to fill it and allow God to fill it. But I'm not always so good at that. And I think as a culture in general, we're always, that's why we're, we have a, an addiction to being busy. You know, yeah. I don't think we like to be still. Welcome to Awakening Lives, a podcast of the Spirituality Network. We seek to cultivate the awakened life through contemplative living and action. Joining me today is Annie Dalby. Annie, I first met you when uh, you uh, taught a, a workshop on grief when I was participating in the WellStreams program. Can you take a moment and and share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Let me start by just saying thank you for having me here, Alejandro. I'm I'm really happy to be sitting with you and and having this conversation. Um, something to support the work of the network, which I've always been passionate about, but also um, to spread the word about grief and loss and healing, which um, has just kind of been my life's journey. So. Yes, just a little bit about me. Uh, I am a spiritual director here in Columbus, and I graduated from Wellstreams in 2009. And since then, I've I've had a practice um, that's kept me busy for all these years. And it's still a um, the work of spiritual companioning is just very near and dear to my heart. Um, it feels vocational at this point. Um, as does work in in grief and bereavement services. So I also have a um, a master's degree in clinical social work. So I've been a licensed independent social worker in the state of Ohio since nineteen way back when <laughs> for a very, for a very long time. So. Um, and I have worked in all different areas of practice, inpatient and outpatient. And I started working with children a long time ago. Um, I, I focus on work with adults now. Um, my work in grief and bereavement really started in 2009. I started working as a bereavement coordinator and a medical social worker at hospice, which um, was just really calling out to me for the longest time. And um, right now, I, I about after five years, I felt a little bit burned out on some of the intensity of that work. And right now I'm working in outpatient Counseling. I work for Cornerstone of Hope, which is um, our office is up in Westerville, and our specialty is grief and bereavement counseling and grief services, although we do general mental health work. So I do spiritual direction there. I do individual counseling. I read 
I lead grief support groups and run some programming. And yes, I've given several workshops over the year for the Spirituality Network, um, just covering different aspects of the grief journey, especially as it intersects with our with our faith journeys and our spirituality. Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, wonderful. Yeah. So, I, I I imagine that there's no shortage of work for you to do, both in terms of social work as well as uh, as a spiritual director uh, in the space of grief. So, I, I'm delighted to have this conversation and. Uh, see what uh, I might learn from you and uh, just explore this topic a little bit further. Wonderful. Yeah, I think it's very relevant and very necessary. So yeah. Um, so so why don't we start there? Uh, why is it important that we have a conversation about grief? Well, you know what? I think for one thing, grief is a universal life experience. Um, you know, whether one labels a loss as grief or not. I We are all, and we all will go through losses in our life. I think it's a common, universal human life experience. Um, you know, I, I do feel that there are many, many different kinds of losses. So I'm not just, you know, my work just doesn't just consist of working with people who may have lost a loved one. I mean, that's a bulk of my work, but I do a lot of work with people who are experiencing things that they wouldn't even call a loss, you know, the mm -hmm. loss of a dream, the loss of a hope, um, the loss, the, the breakup of a marriage, um, Kids leaving home, you know, the emptiness brings feelings of loss. Loss of identity is a huge thing that I find myself dealing with in my work with individuals. You know, and a lot of times, Alejandro, people come to see me and maybe they're talking, they want to see me because they're having relationship difficulties or they're having problems with anger or it's job dissatisfaction. And usually all of those elements are some changes happening in their life. And, you know, change is a both and it's both new beginnings and it's the loss of something that yes. is passing. And I just think that's what I see over and over again. And in my spiritual direction practice, I mean, so, so many of the people that come to see me, we're, they're looking at second half of life work, which... You know, when I was in my 20s, I had a very dear friend who was a psychiatrist at the hospital that I worked with. And I remember one time hanging out with Marit and her children. And they were really little back then. And I was still single. It's a very different place in life. But she's probably like 42. And I remember her one day just she was so angry. And she said to me, Annie, she said, you know what? I spent the first 40 years of my life trying to build up a life. And now I find out the next 40 years are just going to be one loss after another. Mm -hmm. You know, and she was just, it was so poignant. And it was so striking to me when she said that her father had died maybe six months earlier, very unexpectedly. But, you know, to me, she was speaking, that was like, 
it just has stayed with me all of these years that, yeah, a lot of our second half of life work is letting go of things and it's life transitions and it's trying to age with grace. And I think that loss is a theme in all of those challenges and all of those new endeavors that we're faced with. So, yeah, well, um, you know, I think that, uh, it, it's very likely that second half of life is when we experience m- maybe more of those or more frequently. Uh, but I, I have a, a a friend who liked to say that all change is loss and must be mourned. Mm-hmm. So I would and, agree with that. And life is about change. So yes. we're, we're, we're going to experience change throughout our lives. And uh, we yep. have to, be able to mark that transition from what was to what will be. And that does require some intentionality. Definitely. And I, in general, I think that in our culture, we're not all that good with intentionality when it comes to grief and loss. I I think we do our best to gloss over and to uh, maybe look forward. I tend to think we're not so good with empty spaces. Um, that's my experience as a spiritual director. And it's really my, my experience as an individual, you know, having a empty space in my life that used to be full can be a time that triggers a little bit of discomfort in me. And I have to learn to be present to that and allow, life to fill it and allow God to fill it. But I'm not always so good at that. And I think as a culture in general, we're always, that's why we're, we have a, an addiction to being busy. You know, I don't think we like to be still. I don't think we like empty spaces. We're always on to the next, the next new thing. And unfortunately, I think it just leads to this accrual of losses inside of us. And those were, you know, to me, those losses and that grief that goes along with that ends up wearing different masks. And it might look like a broken marriage, or I'm leaving this job, or I'm not getting along with my kid, or I'm ending this friendship, or, you know, I'm 70 years old, and I think I better go out and buy a bright red Corvette. You know, I it's a lot of different faces that it wears. But underneath it all, I, I, I at least feel very in tune to this, uh, this kind of, I don't even know how to put it, the, the emptiness that, that happens as we go through life and the things we have to let go of and the accrual of sadness in our hearts because we don't, we don't even talk about it. We don't talk about it. We don't own it. We don't share it. Um, and I think it's a disservice to all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, I so I'm intrigued by your uh, comment about not being comfortable with uh, empty spaces and trying to fill that up with e- things. It might be the red Corvette or it might be a busier schedule. Uh, perhaps we talk about things other than the things that we need to talk about. Are, are there other ways that you've noticed that people avoid dealing with grief? I, I'm not sure I would say there are other ways. I think in, well, 
you know, I think I see like when somebody is going through really major loss, unfortunately, I think it's a time when compulsions and addictions start to go into high gear, um, you know, and I think it's a way to kind of fill that hole and to control anxiety and fear because we realize how fragile we are and how vulnerable we are. Mm. So I just need to be like, I have had clients, Alejandro, who become addicted to working out, you know, all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing triathlons and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have all these different workouts every day of the week. And, you know, certainly things like drinking and drug usage become an issue. Um, In this day and age, people just can become caught in this cycle of, Um, like streaming services, you know, watching, I don't know, 10 hours of television all at one time, because what's going to happen next in this show? What's going to happen next? You know, or we're on our phones constantly. I think that is such a common thing. I, I, you know, I, I, you and I certainly at our age, we remember what it's like to sit in a sit at a bus stop and just sit and wait and Mm do nothing yeah. You know, you don't have a phone. You're not checking your emails. You're not sending texts. You're not doing anything productive. You're just sitting and waiting. And, you know, it occurs to me, my my kids who are in their mid to late 20s, they've never had a word that was like that, where you just sat and maybe you just looked at what was happening around you. Or God forbid, you talk to the person next to you. You know, we just bury ourselves in in technological escapes, unfortunately. And I think that's to, those are some of the ways I see primarily that people try to get away from dealing with those feelings of loss, vulnerability, fragility, and mortality. That's a big one. Yeah, and and I, I guess I'd never thought about it in terms of compulsions. Uh, so that's a that's a good framework for that. And and obviously there's um, a flip side of that. If we uh, explore grief from a more contemplative perspective rather than a compulsive perspective. So let's let's make sure that we come back and hit that as we talk about healthy ways to deal with grief. Sure. So um, I, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast at this particular time was we're about to enter a holiday season from lots of different traditions. And I always look forward to the holidays, but I know a lot of people don't. Uh, And I think grief is a reason why some people don't look forward to the holidays. It, you know, it, it could be that they're marking a milestone uh, of the loss of somebody for the first time for the holidays. But, you know, there are a myriad of reasons why the holidays might be challenging. What are the things that you've noticed as as the holidays approach and how people deal or don't deal with grief? Well, you know, I know at Cornerstone of Hope, our, there are more people that want to come in to see us. You know, there's there's... Uh, an awareness goes up, like even people that I was seeing earlier in the year, maybe I saw them for four or five months, and then they felt they were in a, a, 
a more balanced, stable place. You know, I've noticed in the past month or so, I'm getting callbacks from people and they're calling me up and they're saying, oh, the holidays are coming. I really need to come see you. And, you know, Alejandro, I, for one thing, I, from so many different traditions and in so many different ways, the holidays are just this poignant time. And, you know, whether we're remembering family meals or special dishes or the stuffing that mom used to make for our Thanksgiving meal or the way dad would sing a certain tune at mass on, you know, Christmas Day, there is there is just such an emotional I'm trying to find the right word. It's a it's an increased awareness of the weightiness of of what comes with the holidays. And there's also the religious aspects from many different religions, you know, that just around this ending time of the year um, that become very significant to people and symbolic in so many different ways and full of so many different memories from the time that were children. You know, and even if you go into the more like a secular holiday being New Year's Day, I, you know, I have people telling me it's it's the ending. It's the ending of another year that the mere acknowledgement of another year of my of my life another year has passed and the kind of the burden of facing the all the way through this new year you know and plus there's i think the other thing that i notice there is so much uh, gaiety and joyfulness that's practically forced on us during the holiday season. Yep. So I think the person that is grieving, whether your loved one died in September and now you're coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, or whether they died a year ago or earlier in the year, you know, you are still grieving. You have a broken heart and you're going into the season where it's one party after another, you know, neighbors are gathering, families are gathering, there's office parties, there's, you know, New Year's Eve parties, there's, and I think that that makes it all the more difficult for the individual who is carrying, going into the holiday season, carrying so the heaviness of grief, it, you just feel like there's no place for me here. Yes. So I think that you feel like you've lost your loved one, you've lost your memories and your holiday traditions, and you've lost your comfort of being in sync with other people during this season. And any way that you look at it, I think it's a it can be a very, very painful time for people. Yeah, yeah. And, and it seems like, in general, we prescribe a certain period that is supposed to be acceptable for grieving. And if you go beyond that, then it's not comfortable for the person that's not grieving anymore. And we don't know how to respond. 
And that makes it, I would think, more challenging for the person who is grieving as well for the person who is not. Definitely. You know, I have people tell me over and over again in my sessions, you know, I I feel like people don't want to hear me anymore. Mm -hmm. They think I should be over this. You know, my sister died in March and they're all upset with me that I'm it's December and I'm still upset that, you know, I'm still grieving. I'm still hurting. And I just want to avoid the holidays altogether. And there, I always talk about that. It's like, there's a statute of limitations on how long you're allowed to grieve. And really, I think we grieve all of our lives when a loved one dies. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever goes away. I think it, it, um, Oh, the edge of the pain gets dulled and we learn to manage our lives better. And hopefully if we're healing, we we um, find new meaningful people and uh, causes or interests to become invested in. But that grief is always there. That pain's always there. You know, I can speak from a personal perspective. It's going to, and the 28th of November, it'll be six years since my dad died. And I can tell you that every autumn, probably starting in October, I start thinking about the end of his life. He had suffered with cancer for nine years. And I think of that last autumn of my father's life and When we get together as a family, I'm one of seven kids and we have, we all have our own children, but there's always the sense of remembering dad or my mom's remembering her husband or we're remembering grandpa. And it's just this heaviness that just goes over that whole Thanksgiving holiday and into Christmas. And that was six years ago now, you know, it's. I'm like, people come to see me and I, you know, it'd be totally inappropriate for me to say, oh my gosh, do I understand what you're talking about? But I really do. I get you. I, I, yeah, I understand. It's hard. It's very painful. Yeah. So um, I I don't think we can have a conversation about grief without talking about Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. Mm -hmm. And and I, I wonder, you know, part of me thinks, that those stages define a journey that people go through, which I think in some ways makes it helpful for us to understand what people might be de- feeling at different stages of grief. But, you know, that last stage is acceptance, which almost gives the impression that I'm done then. You know, right. I've, I've accepted it and I, I'm all good now. Yes. Yes. Um, Well, I think acceptance takes a lifetime, Alejandro. Uh, You know, I I truly do. I I think it's a, we count the years that our loved one is gone, you know, Um, for people that are involved in the tragic losses that are happening because of environmental disasters, you know, um, people in Paradise, California, whose entire community got wiped out by this massive fire, I would not be surprised that they are marking time according to that. You know, it was one year ago that we lost our entire house. It was one year ago that the high school burned down or, you know, we, um, and, and 
it takes a long time to come to a place of, I mean, real acceptance, you know, in terms of, well, when a person dies, it really is, you know, um, this deep down acceptance that they're never coming back. And it hurts me almost to say that because I hear clients tell me that over and over again, Annie, she's never coming back, you know, but it might be five or six months into the their grief process when somebody will finally come into my office and say, they're really not coming back. They really are gone. They're physically not going to be in my life anymore. And might take five, six, seven months for a person just to get to that point, but to accept what it's like to go forward in life without this person, that you, the landscape of your life has changed. And in essence, you have changed. I, I think grief changes all of us. I think yeah. loss changes us all if we allow it to. Um, and sometimes we don't even have to allow it to. I think it's forced on us and um, it's a struggle to deal with that in a healthy way. So I, I, I'm curious, for people of faith or, or maybe even for people you know who don't have a strong faith, how does that play into the managing of grief and, and that understanding of they're never coming back. They're they're gone. Uh, what's the spiritual or faith implications of grief? Great question, Alejandro. And I, you know, I deal with that a lot. Those are more your you're talking about the spiritual aspects of grief, because I think grief is a whole body experience. So it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially. I, I don't think there's an area of our life that it doesn't touch. In my spiritual direction practice, I've had a lot of referrals over the years, people that come to see me because they are in the throes of grief. And what they're noticing is that their loss experience is intersecting with their faith journey and with their spiritual journeys. It's very common for people to start having questions about, um, you know, I can tell you myself, I am a woman of deep, deep faith. I was raised in the Catholic church. Christianity is my homeland. It's my mother tongue, although I'm probably also kind of interfaith at this point also very open to all different, the beauty of all religions and to their common truths. But, you know, when my father died, I, I just remember this sense of going, what happened? Where did he go? Hmm. No, poof. It's like all of a sudden he's gone. Where is he? You know, so I went through this period where I was questioning my own beliefs about the afterlife my own beliefs about the life of the spirit, the life of the soul. Um, as Catholics, we would call it the community of saints. You know, what happens to our loved ones when they are no longer with us? And that is a very common thing that I deal with. Many people come to see me because they start to question what kind of God they're believing in, especially if they've had some kind of traumatic loss. So 
if somebody dies by suicide, if somebody dies by overdose, I've worked with people whose loved ones have been murdered, which is just a horrific thing for them to go through. And, you know, the, the question I have, I have listened to over and over again is what kind of God would allow this in our world? And so that degree of loss and suffering and trauma and really a shattered worldview and a shattered view of God, you know, people start to question, who is this world believe in? You know, um, what is sustaining me through all of this? So I see people and I have for 20 years now in a lot of spiritual crisis because of the loss that they're experiencing. And a lot of times the beliefs that we have for many people, they don't hold up under the magnifying glass of loss, especially if it's traumatic loss, but all loss on some level can really challenge our, um, our beliefs, you know, and, and force us. Well, it, I'm not going to say force. We can be invited into a deeper journey with the divine, with the holy, with God, in all the names of God, whatever that might be for somebody, you know, the experience of deep loss can really invite us into deeper intimacy in that relationship. But not everybody says yes to the invitation. Some people just reject. Um, and and I don't judge them for that. I, yeah. you know, I know, you know, people, um, they're called each as unique individuals and they have their own paths. I'm here to hold presence and to hold space and, and to listen and support, but that's usually the kinds of things that they're bringing me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, those are probably the things that you would do anyway as a spiritual director, but like you mentioned, the magnifying glass of grief, I imagine it becomes even more intense in in situations where you're processing grief with people. And and you know, and I can imagine it might, as a spiritual director, it might be somewhat unsettling for me to hear someone who had a very strong faith walk, who's questioning deeply that that faith journey after loss so that i would have to i feel like i'd have to make a pretty big mental shift thinking about all right this is the person that i used to sit with and now they're saying things that just don't resonate uh with my experience with that individual right well i mean you know and in those situations it's inviting you as a spiritual director or me as a spiritual director into our own, you know, it's an invitation for us to grow with this person and to still be present to them in all their, you know, whether they're having a dark night of the soul or they're out in a desert somewhere, or they're totally shut down to any of the faith that they once knew it doesn't mean that they'll never come back, but oftentimes people come back in a new way or they make their way back in a new way. Um, and 
you know, we're here to journey with them, to companion them in that process. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I often think about things that people say when people are grieving that are probably not really helpful. Uh, and, and maybe it's coming from our own discomfort with grief and trying to say what we think is the right thing, but not landing in the way that we intended. What what are the kinds of things that people might share that would be not helpful? And what would be a better way that we could talk with someone who was in the throes of grief? Well, I think that is a loaded question. I have to tell you in our support groups at Cornerstone, every single time I facilitate a 10-week group, there will be at least one session where the group members will go off on this whole topic of the things people say that aren't helpful to them or that make them very angry or make them not be heard. So, I mean, I could make a very long list of, of some of the, the statements that people, gosh, some of the things that, um, for one thing, you know, it really is, I don't even really understand. It's just, you know, as human beings, we're fallible. So we say things without thinking. But I've had group members and individual clients who will just say, I just, I want to scream when people tell me they were suffering, they're in a better place now. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, I, to me, that is so diminishing of the tremendous pain and loss that our clients are experiencing. Um, To me, it's like, I don't know, patting a little kid on the head and saying, they're there, let me put a Band-Aid on that, you know, and that doesn't always work when the, the wound won't stop bleeding. And that's a lot of times where a person is in when they're grieving, they have this gaping wound that's just bleeding and you know they don't need a band-aid they need somebody well they do need a band-aid but it has to come with presence and with with listening so you know to say something like they're in a better place not helpful to say um you know what i know what you're talking about i lost you know so and so a couple years ago and i went through this i think that is very difficult for people we're not so good and i'm sure you know this as a spiritual director and having gone through well streams you know in general our capacities to truly be present to, to someone and to listen with the intention of doing nothing but listening to them, not formulating our own answer, not thinking about what we're going to say to them, just listening. There's a paucity of that ability in our entire culture. And so, especially when we're uncomfortable, we interrupt people, we cut them off, or we start, you know, we do this thing where we start talking about ourselves, you know, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, I, I, I don't know. I lost my business five years ago. And so I, I think I understand something about, about 
grief and loss. Well, yes, you do, but it's from your expected, you know, your perspective, mm-hmm. not the perspective of this dad whose five-year-old son just died. Yeah. You know, so I think what happens is that that penchant we have to talk about our own experiences instead of to simply hold space with someone. Um, it it can re- be really frustrating and it can almost feel like abandonment to the person who's grieving because they see right through you. They they go, well, you're just you're you're just talking about yourself. You're not hearing where I'm at or what I'm bringing. And really, a lot of times that's all they need, Alejandro. Um, you know, and I think there's a there's a skill to that and there's an art. But I think that to be able to say to a client or a friend or a family member, I can see you're hurting and I'm here to listen to you. You know, whatever you need to say, I'm right here and I, I'm not going to leave you. Yeah. I, I think those words themselves are so healing. Yeah. I, you know, I... I I had that experience working in hospice. You know, there's very little that I can say to somebody who is going through the end stages of their life. But for me to sit there and hold their life story with them, to hold their sorrow over who and what they're leaving behind to just be present to them while they talk about how they love watching the hummingbirds on the bird feeder. You know, that is such a gift beyond measure that we can't even, we really can't fathom what that means to people. And yet I I do think as spiritual directors, um, it's a tremendous gift for us to be able to offer that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I wonder if this is a, a good place to bring back that topic of, compulsion versus contemplation. So I'm thinking about when we ourselves are in the throes of grief, how how do we uh, lean into the grief, sit with it, and not brush it aside? How, How can we take a more contemplative approach to life rather than filling up our calendar or buying that Corvette? How, how, how would you suggest that we um, help ourselves to be fully present to the grief that we're experiencing? That for many people, especially if they didn't grow up in families where you're allowed to really have your true feelings and express them, which in my experience as a therapist, as a therapist, that's a lot of families that grow up with where you don't really talk openly about what you're feeling in an, in, in a certain um, situation. So I think uh, for many people, it, it's baby steps, you know, and it's a dead giveaway when you start weeping and you can't stop crying. You know, that's a, usually we know when we're, when we're off or when when we're grieving you know there there are telltale tell telltale signs that we are aware of and i think just to start even with baby steps of saying 
I'm going to allow myself five minutes to sit down today and think about my mom because I miss her so deeply. Um, I'm going to give myself five minutes of allowing myself to cry over how much I miss her presence in my life. Um, you can join. I mean, there are many little gifts you can give yourself. You could join a grief support group. You know, I, I, I think the ones we run at Cornerstone are top notch and there's other, um, hospital systems and hospices in the city that run really good grief support groups too. I think that journaling, allowing yourself to write your feelings down can be very helpful to talk to a spouse, to talk to your closest, dearest friend, um, you know, to seek out a grief counselor or a spiritual director. You know, a lot of times people say to me, oh, I'm afraid that if I pay attention to my grief at all, it's completely going to overwhelm me. And I really, you know, I've worked with people over the years where, I'll, you know, I'll say, how about if you allow yourself 10 or 15 minutes a day when you're allowed to sit with your feelings of how much you miss your loved one? And, you know, I have suggested to people, and I'm not the only um, therapist that does this, but, you know, that you have a place in your home where you have a picture of your loved one and you light a candle and you sit there and you allow yourself to sit with your memories, to remember the things that you most love about your dear lost loved one. Um you know, that you really give yourself the space. And I think that's what's what's necessary is to give yourself the space to be able to sit with those losses. But you could do a collage. I mean, there are so many creative ways to deal with grief, you know, to open up magazines and see what words catch your attention as you're grieving and make a collage out of them or pictures or allow yourself to go through your photo albums and say today for just five minutes, I'm going to go through my photo album and I'm going to allow myself the gift of sitting with this picture of my sister and I and remembering that very moment in our lives and how very precious it was and how very precious she was to me. And if weeping starts to happen, that you are self-compassionate enough that you allow it. You know, I, I think that's something we are sorely lacking when it comes to dealing with grief and we're lacking in it as a culture. You know, we give ourselves three days bereavement leave and then you're supposed to go back to the office and you're supposed to be just fine to go do your full-time job. And it, to me, as a clinician, it's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. I think there needs to be space and time for our feelings to flow, our thoughts to flow, for us to relive our memories, for us to remember the things we loved about a loved one or a job or a home that we were forced to leave, whatever your loss might be, you know, that you remember the good things and that you mourn 
all that's been lost. I just, I think it's so important to mental health and to spiritual growth. I, I, I mean, it's what I do. It's why I do what I do, which I've decided after all these years, it really is a vocation for me. And I just see great healing and meaning in life come from being able to sit with our issues of our losses because everyone's loss story is also a healing story. You know, it's a both and as you tell your loss story, you're working your way towards healing. You are, you know, every, every yes is a no, every no is a yes. Every ending is a beginning. You know, it's all two sides of the same coin and it's, life and death happen in the very same moment and saying yes to your grief also means saying yes to what comes next to the possibilities and and to the wonderful things that could still happen in life that's beautiful this this has been so rich annie i so appreciate uh, your thoughts you've given me so many good things to think about do you have any other uh, words of wisdom that you'd like to offer before we bring our time to a close? You know, not really, because I, you know, Alejandro, I think that I I try to keep a beginner's mind with all of this stuff, no matter how many years I've been doing it. I There's always a client that comes into my office inevitably every day that teaches me something new. And um, I just hope that, what we're talking about, what's being put out there can be helpful to somebody somewhere along the way. And that more than anything, that they don't feel so alone, that they know that there are those of us who are praying for them, who truly care about their grief journeys and are here to sit with them and to listen so that they don't feel that horrible pain and isolation of grief. Beautiful. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. You're welcome. And for our listeners, yeah, for our listeners, thank you for joining us today for Awakening Lives. This is one more way the Spirituality Network connects people with resources for spiritual growth and depth, regardless of faith tradition. Through education and training, spiritual direction for individuals and groups, and community programs and events. Ecumenical and interfaith, the Spirituality Network honors diversity and does not proselytize. If you wish to know more about our programming, please visit us at spiritualitynetwork.org, where you'll find information about events such as the January 20 workshop that Annie is going to lead on Sitting with Grief. So please uh, mark that for your calendar and join us in January uh, and next month as we explore new ways to awaken our lives and transform the world.